you know, a central theme in spiritual practice or spirituality is worship, right? Throughout history, too. I mean, that's just been the central thing is worship. What do you worship? How do you worship? And what determines worship? And this is a fascinating topic. It's a fascinating topic to look into. Um, you know, certainly from the Christian perspective, the Judeo-Christian, the first and most important commandment was centered around this very idea of worshiping. And, you know, at first, when you look at some of these stories from, let's say, the Old Testament, right? Let's say Moses comes down and after talking to God and receiving the Ten Commandments, and then there's that sort of epic scene where people are, <laughs> in the time that he was gone, they already started worshiping, you know, uh, whatever, objects and idols and doing all kinds of stuff, right? So it's just, we look at that and we say, oh, you know, that's, it's ancient times, you know, we, we study, you know, things like Babylonian sacrifice practices or Aztec sacrifice practices, you know, all these ways of worship and idolatry that were so common. Um, and, they, and they seem sort of like, oh, those are just primitive times, right? Those are just things that uh, they've faded out. Well, we don't do that kind of stuff today. And it's very fascinating. You know, this topic of worship is such a fascinating topic because... It was one of the most important things, maybe I would say the most important consistent reminders in Christianity and Judeo-Christian uh, beliefs from God. It was, the, it was the theme, thematic message that he kept wanting to reaffirm to us is do not have other gods. Do not worship other gods, right? And so most people today, you know, they don't realize, I think, the spiritual value of this commandment. This is such an important key to not losing yourself spiritually. But, you know, we get caught up in thinking that this means, you know, building some sort of idol of a calf or something and, and worshiping it or doing rituals. And sure, yeah, it's a spectrum, right? I mean, everything's a spectrum. Sure, on one side of the spectrum, it's you know, maybe full-blown idolistic worship. Um, and even in, I mean, this is another can of worms, but even in Christianity, you look at, there's a lot of debate around that, you know. Um, there's a lot of churches that have statues and icons and, you know, they pray to saints or, you know, do those kinds of things. And it's, there's a lot of debate around that if that's idol worship. There's a lot of materialism. You know, there might be a lot of materialism in the church itself where people pray to some sort of, you know, holy object or something like that. And so the more you look into this, the more you realize why God specifically shared that advice with us, that spiritual guidance. Don't have any other gods besides me. I'm the one true God. And, you know, People who criticize God or who criticize the Bible even, they'll look in this, oh, well, you know, God is just jealous. He just must be this jealous being. You know, he's insecure. And it's just such an ignorant, I think, it's just an ignorant perspective because ultimately, first off, you can't project your own low-level human thinking onto 
the creator of the universe, the ultimate being that is the source of all life, right? So we're projecting our own faulty way of thinking and doing things. You know, like for example, if like you suddenly got all the power in the universe and you made the in that commandment, then probably you're doing it because you're insecure. Well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, it's just you can't anthropomorphize God with these, you know, human characteristics. He transcends time and space. You know, he transcends our consciousness. So there must be a different reason. And the more you actually do your due diligence, the more you realize that this first and very important commandment, this guidance from God and from Jesus Christ, is so utterly vital to our spiritual life. And I don't mean that spiritual life as in the habits and practices of your life, which it could apply in that sense too, but I mean it in this way, in you being alive versus dying spiritually. Spiritual life versus spiritual death. Spiritual vitality versus spiritual... I don't know, fatigue or whatever. I don't know what the opposite of that would be, but spiritual death, right? So ultimately, why is it so important? Well, I'll give you an example from movement because I think about this kind of stuff a lot. And, you know, obviously with my background in movement, I tend to frame things from that perspective. And so one thing that you learn in movement, which has always fascinated me, I love studying movement because I think it's such a, it's such a good guide, you know, for, for the rest of life because God is a genius and everything makes sense in the world. And so you look at one thing and you can really understand how everything else works. For me, movement is that one thing. And if you, for example, you can just do this in your head or you can try it out, but if you're just standing, standing neutrally somewhere, right? And you, you want to go get some water on, on a table somewhere, right? Or, or a drink. What happens? Right? What happens in that little, if we were to sort of film you and go frame by frame, what happens? Well, if you, if you break it down, what happens is this. First, you get the thought in your head. And then, you know, you see that picture, maybe you're thirsty. You kind of imagine that quenching, you know, a future moment. And it draws you forward. But then what happens in your body mechanically is that you actually start to fall off balance. This is very important. So stay with me here. You fall off balance first, and then you start moving. Then your legs start moving. It doesn't, you don't throw your legs in front of you, you know, like a squid or something, and you start moving. No, you actually, your ribcage, your body, your center starts to move forward towards that thing that you want, and then your feet start moving. So there's a very fundamental, profound lesson in this little example. And that lesson is that. The law of the universe dictates that we that we must be off balance in order to create any action in our life. Understand? So anything that you do, it is done. You know, this is where perfectionism really shows its problems because perfectionists never get started, right? I'm a perfectionist, you know, and that's something I've struggled with too, obviously. I have this recording, so I started something, right? But ultimately, you know, one thing, if you if you are a perfectionist, one thing you struggle with is starting because you want to get everything right. But the problem is in trying to make it perfect, you never fall, you never allow yourself to go off balance 
so that something can start. And this is this is just a loop that we get into because then you don't start and then it fails or you know you miss an opportunity and then your mind says, "Oh, you see, you know, you're a failure." So you get more evidence that you that you suck or that you, you know, can never do it. So so it's this self-defeating prophecy and that's all because we don't ever start. So everything that happens inherently happens because something is out of balance. Even the best things, even when you start a great business or a great new venture, a project, a great new relationship, right? Isn't that the case with relationships? And you start everything, oh my gosh, and you're so attracted. Everything is just amazing. And then, you know, once the initial high wears off that blinded you (laughs) to all the other imbalances and that comes forward, then you start, you know, arguing and, and pointing at each other's faults and all the stuff that happens in relationships, right? And you start living together. You're like, holy smokes, why did I even get together with you, right? And so those things, that's just a natural curve. Why? Because when you initially started, you were not thinking, you know, nothing that you do or start is ever done out of a rational state of mind. Think about that. Nothing that you do any well-intentioned thing or thing that you really love or liked or pulled you forward, it's never done from a rational state of mind. Because if you sit down and rationalize every possible reason why you shouldn't do it, then you will come with a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do it. You know, getting a dog. I love dogs. They're super cute. I love dachshunds. They're my favorite. But dachshunds are super stubborn to potty train. They bark at everything. You know, and <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why they're just super frustrating. And that's the same with everything. It's the same with everything. So if you actually sit down and reason things out, you'll never get anything done. And this is this is a fundamental, such an important thing to, to realize and why I spent some time on it. Because ultimately what it means is that we are drawn. So the world itself, the way things work, it is impossible not to be out of balance in the world. Right? And so what creates that imbalance? That What creates that imbalance is that something is prioritized over something else. In the world of movement, in our little example that we just used, the body prioritizes the center of gravity and moves it over forward, over your feet. Right, And so what happens is by making a priority over your center of gravity, you start to fall off balance because previously, before you started moving, there was no priority. You were at rest. You were just standing there. Everything was aligned. There was no priority. Nothing was better or prioritized with energy over anything else. And so that's fine. That's a state of rest. So stay with me because all this stuff relates to spirituality. But when you make a priority of something, when something becomes important, you fall off balance and you begin moving. And so in order for you to take action, you have to make something important over other things. Make sense? Plain and simple. That's just the formula for any action. And this is where we get caught into desire, desire and fear. And this is some of the things that the Buddha raised, which is, you know, desire is the root of all suffering. And so, you know, Zen teaches to let go of action because you can't act without being out of balance. Nothing can move without something first becoming out of balance. And when you make something more important than something else, 
you automatically enter the world of desire or fear. You know, obviously there are two sides of the same coin, but something is pushing or pulling at you to move. And so what else, what does all, all of this boil down to is that we fundamentally as beings of spirit, of psyche, of emotions, right? Of intelligence, our mind, we fundamentally operate in the world by making something more important than something else. That's ultimately how everything works. We have to make something more important than something else in order to move forward. And how you juggle that little dance of life in your own life is the question of the night. That's the question of your spiritual freedom. That's the question of whether you feel happy or not. It's really evaluating what are you putting as a priority. And this is what worship means. So now coming back to this original guidance, you know, this is what it means. You know, people back in uh, Moses' day, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have influencers. They didn't have a constant bombardment of commercial options and ways to spend money. So yeah, of course, the thing that they, the way that they worshipped, or you know, I should say, devoted themselves and made something more important than something else was very obvious. <laughs> I mean, you make an idol, or you know, because they'll give you, they'll bring you good luck, you know, or whatever, some other superstitious thing, you know. So it was very simple. Life was very simple back then. But just because we've supposedly become more advanced, I don't think we have, but supposedly we've become more advanced. That doesn't mean that we've gotten away from this fundamental problem of human, of the human condition, which is to move by prioritizing something over something else. And so what that fundamentally comes down to is when you really study human behavior long enough, is that human beings have to have something to worship. We worship things automatically. Because we put things at the center of our life to draw ourselves forward. And it's just a natural outcome, right? And today, that is not as obvious because we have so many ways that we, you know, get caught up. You know, some people are worshiping their careers. Some people worship Instagram influencers or or pop stars or athletes. Some people worship themselves through all the new age nonsense that's just very popular these days. You know, so worship becomes a key factor because what you worship determines what you place at the center of what is your spiritual center. Right? What is it? What is your spiritual center? What are, what drives you forward? And if what's driving you forward is not the truth, then you disconnect from the source of truth, which is the source of life. Everything that is life and alive comes from truth. Truth and life are synonymous. Lies do not create. They create smoke and mirrors. They twist, they invert, they manipulate. They take truth, which exists, and they spin it around a little bit. They may create some half-truth out of it. But lies themselves do not generate any truth. They don't generate anything new. You know, it's like taking, and th- this may be not the best metaphor, but it's like taking, you know, like Beethoven's, you know, Moonlight Sonata, beautiful piece, and making a remix out of it. You know, you can be very skilled at remixing something, but the person who came up with those initial notes and that initial sequence, that person's a genius, you know, but we, we give so much glory to 
all the remixers. You know, we give so much glory and idolize all these artists, but look around you. You know, nature is creating in a day what a million artists create in their lifetime. You know, so so don't get lost. You know, we tend to worship and get so caught up in giving everything our full attention. And the problem is, you know, like in relationships, I'll give you another example of relationships. One of my favorite quotes with relationships is, it's by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. You know, it's love is not about two people looking at each other or gazing at each other, I believe is the word. Love is about two people looking outward toward a common destination. And that's such a perfect quote for what we're talking about today because look, in relationships today, I can't tell you how much I see all of this narcissistic, personal growth, spiritual new age nonsense making its way into relationships and creating all of this self-worship and idolatry. I mean, you know, people are calling each other gods and goddesses and you know, enlightenment, you know, partners and let's let's all ascend and become you know, our higher self. I mean, it's just all this nonsense that really ultimately what it does is it feeds your pride. And and you start worshiping that person, whether you realize it or not. You know, when you're calling somebody a god or a goddess in your relationship, even a king, you know, oh, he's my king. It's like, really? He's your king? Where's his kingdom? Where's his slaves? Where's his, you know, <laughs> servants? Where's his army? You know, he's not a king. It's not a queen. And we know what we mean, but you have to be careful. You have to use discernment because we tend to worship everything. This is why God constantly reminds us, listen, I'm the source of truth and life. Don't have any other gods beside me because they can't do anything. They can't feed your life. They can't guide you. You know, they can't guide you like I can. They can't feed your life like I can. They can't free you from suffering. As nice as all this new age stuff sounds, at the end of the day, it's not there for you when you have to address the fundamental problems of death and suffering. Law of attraction is nice, except until you don't attract what you want, and then it's not so nice, you know? That's why it's nonsense. Law of attraction is nonsense, plain and simple. You know, we we like to think that we're the creators and we can align, you know, there's a lot of science, pseudoscience in there, half-truths. Again, there's truth that's been taken to be twisted and to be commercialized and to sell packages and programs and recordings. But, you know, it sounds nice when we go, oh yeah, you know, there's vibration and I can align with vibration. I can create, I'm the creator and I just have to believe, you know, sure, part of that's kind of true, but you're not the creator. And, you know, it's evidence because we have plenty of suffering and failure in our life, Right. And so what happens when that happens to you? Your God, your false God, whether it's yourself, your crystals, your new age philosophy, your personal growth guru, it's a false God. They're not there for you. But if you put God as the center of your life, and look, I'm not trying to sound condemning, but I've been there. I've been there. Right? So you have to wake up from these things. You have to use discernment. Um, You know, when God is the center of your life, we're talking about the personal Judeo-Christian God that revealed himself and has tried to reveal himself so many times. When that God, the one true living God, is the source of your life, 
and the center of your spiritual practice. Then when suffering and loss and death and all these things that are natural parts of the world confront you, you don't lose yourself. There's no inconsistency in your life because you realize, okay, God is there for me during the good times and the bad. And this, there's a reason for this. And furthermore, you realize when you do put God as the center of your life that pride is the source of all suffering. You know, pride is, is what generates desire and also fear. And that's why humility and the teachings of Jesus Christ, of being humble, of living a humble life, that's why those things are so valid still today, even more, I think even more today for us, because we tend to idolize everything. We tend to idolize everything that feeds our pride. And we're constantly feeding our pride. And then we have so much source and so much suffering. And then we turn to the material world to reduce our suffering. And it's just this never ending loop. Meanwhile, God is sitting there at the door waiting for you to, to figure it out. And so we naturally worship everything. And so it's important to make a distinction of, of how that worship plays out. First off, it's natural to worship anything. So that's why it's so important to make God as the center of your worship. God is like, you know, I hate to describe it this way, but kind of like a, an endless bucket that you can just put yourself there in there. Put your, put your worries in there. Put your, your thoughts. Put your focus in there. And he'll take all of it. You know, people are flawed. Don't make people the centers of your spiritual life. You know, even today, people make their dogs the center of their spirit. And dog, you know, posting. And look, I love dogs. There's, I would rescue a bunch of dogs if I could. But at the end of the day, what are you putting at the center of your life? I've seen people that literally, I mean, their dog is like, you're treating them better than a human being. And you're constantly just high on the dopamine that the dog provides. And rightfully so. They're, they're companions made by God for us. I do believe that. But use discernment. You know, use discernment. I used to go to <laughs> music festivals, especially raves and stuff like that, if you, if you know what that's all about. You know, but now I see them for what they are. You know, there's all these statues and sculptures and altars that resemble all kinds of you know, terrible things. And so I think to myself, I'm like, what am I doing if I'm going there? Am I making that the center of my, my life? You know, and there's an important distinction here. You know, what does it mean to worship? You know, most people who go to those types of things, there's, you know, there's drugs involved. There's, you know, complete surrender involved. You're, you're leaving your body. You're leaving your consciousness and surrendering to the experience and what does that mean that's really what worship is when you completely surrender yourself to the experience i can listen to music right i can listen to music i can even listen to suggested music although you know i try not to but i can listen to music but it's another thing to completely surrender yourself and sort of enter this trance state where you are programmed you're allowing yourself to be programmed with certain ways of thinking. You know, when you place your full faith and trust in something, that's what surrender is. You know, when you're looking for a man to save you, whether it's a politician, uh, you know, some other human being, some personal growth guru, some spiritual guru, you know, some author, 
don't look to man to save you. Men are flawed. Men are looking for recognition, regardless of how dressed in spiritual garb they are. So this is why there's such a need for discernment today, because we thrive. We are designed as spiritual beings. You know, there's plenty of studies that actually show it's very interesting, actually, that show that atheism is is really just not supported by science. It's really not. I mean, they've done neurological studies and scans on people. And look, long story short, atheism, you really have to try to be an atheist because we're programmed to be beings that have spiritual experiences. So spirituality is at the center of our life. It's also at the center of our psyche and life that anything that we act has to be done from a a point of imbalance, meaning we have to prioritize something. So by nature, what all that adds up to is that we will worship something in our life. Whether you want to or not, right now you're worshiping something or someone. And how do you do that? Well, you <laughs> you look at what kind of things you do on a regular basis. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Look at your bank account. Look at your calendar. That's a start, right? And so you start to see, holy smokes, I am worshiping XYZ. You know, you don't have to, again, you don't have to like build some sort of crazy altar. It's not about doing that. It's about how are you surrendering your time, your energy, your emotion? What are you worshiping? Because those things aren't the source of life. That's really why. Not because God is some jealous, evil being. No, because God knows our nature. He created us. And so he knows that we'll lose ourselves by placing our faith and losing ourselves to pride and false teachings, false teachers, you know, and so there's a difference. There's a difference between worshiping something and and admiring it. You can admire and respect someone. You can admire and, you know, have awe for something. You know, a good way to talk about this is the natural world. I love going out in nature, you know, but today a lot of new age practices and personal growth practices suck people into this worship of nature with things like the Gaia theory and Mother Nature and the universe. And, you know, yes, Mother Nature, that's, again, it's another half-truth that, that feels true and then it, and it sneaks its little tail into your spiritual center. Yes, you know, nature, I'm not going to say Mother Nature because I don't believe in Mother Nature. Uh, you have one father and that's God. There is no mother and ultimately, look, nature is God's handiwork. It is impressive. It is beautiful. It is incredibly intelligent and harmonious. But that's just a sign, a signature of the person who made it. You know, of the being who made it, I should say. And it's very easy to get lost in the beauty and admiration that is very obvious that we can feel and start to worship creation. You know, to worship reality, the physical reality. Well, the only thing you should worship, the only being that you should worship is immaterial. And that's God. God doesn't, he's not in the physical world. You know, and that's by design. Because if he was, you wouldn't do it out of a genuine, you know, intent. You'd do that out of a fear or out of a desire to be liked or to please him. You know, so he's created this long distance relationship on purpose it's it's genius it really is and so you have to use discernment because a lot of this stuff that's going around right now with with spirituality is very much based in monism 
or pantheism. Monism is, you know, we're all one sort of divine being expressing itself. Now, and that ties into, again, back into self-ascension and this spiritual narcissism that is so seductive. It doesn't seem bad, but it really, it's a, it's a false teaching because it leads you down the path of you being the God, you being the creator. And then pantheism, which is sort of this impersonal, you know, God is in a rock and then you can worship a rock if you want because God is everywhere, which is really just worshiping the creation. Right? So you have to be using discernment because really what it's about, it's about being free. The truth shall set you free. And the only way to truly be free is to place the true and living God that's been revealed to us at the center of your spiritual life. Because then you'll gain humility. You'll be able to practice true humility. You'll be able to practice surrender. You'll be able to see the purpose for suffering and death in your life. You understand that there's an afterlife. You understand that you're taking care of, that God is always there. You understand that you have an intimate and personal relationship with God. Not some impersonal thing, you know, like pantheism would suggest, or, you know, this whole idea of the universe. I mean, yeah, there is a universe, but universe and God are two different things. And you also have to kind of watch out for this other, you know, there's, there's three major sins, <laughs> put it this way, that we get lost when it comes to worshiping. We worship the creation, which is anything material that you see, whether it's people, influencers, your dog, your car, materialism. Um, I mean, there's, there's just such a wide range of things, right? Anything that's material, it's worship of the creation fractals, the universe, whatever, nature, mother nature, Gaia, yourself, right? That's actually falls into the second category, which is worship of the self, which is you, you believing you're the creator, that you're destined to be this divine being and all this kind of stuff. And you know, that's just nonsense. It really is. The more you look into it, the more you realize like, this is just utter nonsense. You're not divine. You were created, we're created and we have a personal relationship with the divine but we are not divine you have to get off that pedestal and for some people listening to this maybe you know that that stings a little bit but consider that the more something stings the more true it may be for you i know it stung for me because i definitely bought into that idea but you again you do your research you realize how much nonsense it is but you know you have this third category which i didn't really cover which is the worship of nothing and that sounds really kind of silly, but worship of nothing is simply this. I mean, it's sort of this non-dualist response to reality. It is as simple as it sounds, worshiping of nothing, you know, trying to constantly clear your mind, trying to be living in this moral, morally relative, non-dualist, resisting of action, neutral world, you know, the eternal nothing, you know, all this kind of nonsense. I mean, there's no such thing as nothing, first off. There's no such thing as nothing. Show me nothing. Show me where there's nothing. It's a conjecture. There's no such thing as nothing. Even if you take empty space and you look down, deep down, it's full of energy. Why? Because that's a signature of the one true living God. That's why I say living God. It's not true living it's not one true god it's one true living god that word is there is actually 
it's very precise and it's so fascinating you know that these words the more you study what was written right the bible and so on it's it's very well written and very specifically written and again this is why it's more relevant than ever today because we are losing the source of life when you are humble when you surrender to the true source of life the truth allow the holy spirit to guide you and you see what you need to see you become free you truly become free you become free from desire and fear without losing yourself to this moral relativist non-dualist kind of worship of creation or worship of nothing or worse you know becoming sort of the spiritual narcissist that you think you're the creator and you're channeling spirits and divine entities and ascended masters and all this nonsense i mean all those things you know all this stuff is tied together so you have to use spiritual discernment and that's where the conscience comes in right that's where the it's not just intuition and your intelligence it is your conscience to discern what is right and what is wrong and that has to come from humility it's based in humility it's very easy to be intelligent it's very easy to grow your intuition but those things without a matching development in your conscience and your ability to develop humility so you can discern what is right from wrong they will just lead you astray they'll lead you into some sort of spiritual you know again spiritual death <laughs> i mean it sounds really morbid but that's really what worship is all about you know so i don't know you know make, make an inventory of your life and you and see what is it that i'm worshiping you know at what point do i cross over from respect and admiration adoration into this kind of place where this is the central part of my life and my presentation to you is the only thing that deserves that central part is god because god is the only one capable of anchoring you when he is the center it really is you know if you put the if you put your business as the center of your life guess what <laughs> business is anchored in the world and you're going to lose some money you're going to get frustrated you're going to lose yourself if you put your romantic partner as this god or goddess you know at the center of your life and whatever well guess what they're human they're imperfect they have trauma they're going to let you down people are betraying you all the time people are ruled by fear you know if you put other people influencers you know whatever else it's all tied to the material world that's changing god doesn't change God is the source of life and the only way that we can access that life is by surrendering the throne of being in charge of our life. Right? So if God is first in your life then you you acknowledge that you're not the one in charge. That's really what worship is about. When you place something else first in your life and that becomes a form of worship or idolatry. Um, and again, these <laughs> these sound like heavy words, but it, look look around you. There's more idolatry now than, than ever. I mean, it's, I don't think it's ever really changed. We laugh about people with their altars and all this kind of stuff, um, you know, thousands of years ago, but it really hasn't changed. Look at your phone. That could be an altar. People are worshiping that all day and what's happening on this two-dimensional two screen, right? So you have to look at that because these things are tied to the material world that is a, a source of constant change and death. 
Things are constantly dying and changing. Whereas God doesn't. He's immortal. He's forever. He's consistent. And on top of all that, the most important part, he loves you and he wants relationship with you. So you have to just allow him to do his work because he knows better. That's that's all there is to it. And that's what worshiping God is all about. It's really just about surrendering and also managing what you surrender to on a regular basis. And that's where conscience and discernment comes in. You know, learning to draw the line between, okay, you know, I'm going to do this experience or I'm going to, you know, whatever, lend my attention or my energy to something and realize, okay, what is the point at which this crosses over into this is swallowing me up, right? So that's kind of a healthy way to employ detachment, the principle of detachment, without, again, you know, losing yourself to the to the half-truth that's very common in you know, all these new age ideas today. You got to detach, but then, you know, you detach and then you become so present that all you do is worship your senses in the present world and, you know, the eternal now and all this nonsense. I mean, it's, it's really, you have to be very careful because we can lose ourselves. So watch what you worship. We all will worship one thing or another by default. So make sure that you put God first and everything will work itself out.